Hey, Rockheads, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here to announce that NDC is back in Copenhagen, March 27th through 29th at DGIBN. It's two days of workshops and a one-day conference. Go to ndcmini.com to learn more. And NDC is coming back to America. Back at the St. Paul River Center in Minneapolis, May 6th to 9th. That's the one. Go to ndcminnesota.com today to register. And tell them Carl and Richard sent you. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're still here in London, believe it or not. We like it here. We like it here. We're staying for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it, what was interesting was we were starting a little bit late because uh, the bells of Westminster Abbey were ringing. There was apparently a funeral. Right. And it uh, looks like the royal family was there too. And, you know, the queen actually gets a special seat. In the Abbey, there's a very special seat for her. Well, you know, she's queen. So the next time you're th- complaining about your status on your flight. The airline. And your airline, yeah, just think, well, you know, if I was queen. Then I'd be on a ship. I'd be on a ship. That's right. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> Take a boat. Uh, anyway, uh, Victoria Almozova is here. We're going to be talking security in just a bit. But first, we have this thing called Better Know a Framework. Awesome. Roll the crazy music. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? I got a great XKCD comic. Yeah, I can't go wrong with those. It's number 149, Ooh, so it's an old one. An old, old one, yeah. Yeah, so there's a stick figure sitting in a chair and one standing up, and the one in the chair says, make me a sandwich. What? Make it yourself. Pseudo, make me a sandwich. Okay. <laughs> That's Linux humor. That's what that is. <laughs> so awesome. I mean, just apply pseudo to everything in yeah. life. You'll be fine. Yeah, I've tried that with my kids. It doesn't work so good. Just saying. <laughs> uh, you know, it's pseudo kinda... clean your room. <laughs> clean your room. <laughs> it's, it's sort of the go to, like, turn it off and turn it back on again fix for Linux, isn't it? Yeah. If something doesn't work, just put pseudo in just front of it. Just elevate your permissions temporarily for this command. <laughs> And I guess I guess that's kind of setting the tone for this conversation, yeah. I hope. So anyway, that's what I got. What do you got, buddy? Uh, I grabbed a comment off the show, 1607, uh, from December of 2018, where we talked to Carl Otts about the, the things you can do wrong with security in Azure. That's that what it really great. came down to, that yeah, whole show. Azure security fails. Yeah. yeah. And we recorded it in Prague at the update conference. I thought it was really fun, mm-hmm. that he, you know, Talking about things that Azure gets super right, like physical security. Yeah. You're not going to break into one of their data centers. Especially but. if it's down at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong about rights and privileges and you know, using different email addresses for different purposes. Right. And uh, just that whole just enough administration mindset that we don't live in an administrator's account all the time. Yeah. I got a few good comments on the show, but let me read you this one from Jeff Wilson, who says, Greetings.net team, I've been listening to your wonderful podcast for about five years, and thanks for everything that you do. I'm an IT and security professional whose career has more or less been built on designing, deploying, and securing Microsoft stacks of products. Nice. I'm struck by one immutable thing about humans who use technology, whether it's on-premises or in the cloud. We are stubborn. And if we can avoid a cost now, we do with few exceptions. Right. Microsoft has had secure credential stores in Windows for more than a decade. 
built right into Internet Explorer and available in your control panel. Number of times I've seen it managed successfully in the enterprise setting? Pretty much none. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Microsoft has also given us tools to, to build out our own internal PKI infrastructures. But do you know how many orgs do this? A few. And I admit, I've seen a couple, but very few. I've deployed right. a handful of one-tier and two-tier PKIs, but I find them to be a tough sell inside of an organization if they haven't already got one. Hell, I had even get my .NET VB6 WinForms guys to use an internally generated code signing certificate to sign their binaries with. Now, that's crazy talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Microsoft has also thoughtfully developed its own security controls around file shares. But do you know how many organizations use Kerberos-based authentication claims against old sprawling file shares? Don't look at me. I've never seen it, Richard Carl. It's mm. discretionary access control lists and nested security groups all the way down. <laughs> My point is this. Security tooling is and has always been present for practitioners of the Microsoft stack. We mm. seldom use it or use it well enough. Regulated sectors do a better job in these, with these tools, but I think we all need a kick in the pants from the regulators here. Everyone wants to go fast, and Azure was built to help people go fast. But until we make it costly for businesses to ignore security, I think the great Azure security controls described by your guests will mostly sit unused, just like the old ones that were on-premises. I want an American GDPR. Hmm. It'd be good for me as a consumer and good for IT pros and developers alike. Hmm. Now, this is an interesting angle on this, which is basically, I give up trying to talk you into it. I'm going to tell dad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like we're going to use government basically to enforce good behavior on folks. Hmm. And not that I have anything bad to say about the European GDPR, except that we have yet to see any enforcement mm -hmm. it's like it's great you passed a set of rules and are insisting that people comply with it and it's interesting being here in the uk at the moment and i'm hitting sites in the u.s every so often that say oh you're in the eu sorry yeah you can't show you this page right we're not complying and we're not gonna be if i have to agree to one more i promise the, that i don't they, they, yeah we got cookies, cookies. Yeah. yeah i mean come on that's the real punishment for it is GDPR. Punishment. but to me just the, use cookies and forget about it yeah Jeez. Is there, are we actually making the world safer with that after that prompt? Over safer, and maybe. Over? Probably not. Probably not. Definitely more pissed off. Well, I do think we're creating the same problem as all of those install systems. It's like next, next, next. Like, I'm not reading yeah. this. <laughs> Just tell me what I got to do to get on with what I want to do. I like Mark Miller's solution, the install buddy app. Yeah which just clicks next about six times. If I see a yes or a next, then we just do it. Yeah. Right. It's, that's <laughs> sort of reality of this constant nagging. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not willing to give up quite yet, Jeff. I think it, I think I'm not going to say the tool solve the problem. I think there's still a culture and, and, uh, and practice aspect to all of this, mm -hmm. but the tools do reduce the friction. Yeah. So that the excuses get shorter. And I hope a conversation we can have today, you go further down that path. So thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. And please use least privilege. <laughs> please. We don't like privilege tweets. No. Privilege tweets are bad. Just stay down in your little sandbox and be happy. Pseudo send me a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Let's introduce our guest. Victoria Almazova is a security girl, otherwise known as a technical solution professional at Microsoft Norway. With more than 14 years of experience in security, she spends all her time working closely with developers and architects to make security built in from the design level. 
She's a big supporter of making security as culture and shifting security to the left. We'll find out what she means by that in a minute. Victoria believes that empowering developers and architects in security tasks by helping with education will increase security levels without increasing additional workload. During her free time, she deep dives into cloud security, development, identity, and access management. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And you've been listening to the show for a while? Yeah, for the many years. Oh, wow. That's cool. It is, and especially it's kind of mixed feelings to be on the other side. Ah, uh, no, <laughs> no problem. Yeah, you know, the other side of this is you are now experiencing how the sausage is made. Right. There's lots of mistakes and things, and it's editing that makes us all sound smooth. Yep. None of it is real. It is carefully <laughs> edited. I don't go so far as to edit words and sentences together, but mm-hmm. uh, I certainly take out the dumb. Yeah, and well, and you've done some serious de-umming in the past, too. Oh, know? yeah. Especially for folks that were... Uh, English is not the first language. Sometimes you're tra- struggling for translations, and we could smooth a lot of that out. Yeah. The goal really is to make everything clearer. Yeah, that's right. We want to hear what you meant to say, not necessarily what you did say. Absolutely. Did I say that right? You did. I think I you did it exactly I, right. I don't know if I meant to say that. Okay. But you did say it. <laughs> I did. And now we're good. All right. Cool. Anyway, uh, I, where I, do I we think start? We, with, well, I think with the reality that security is something you add to the app when it's ready to deploy, and somebody says, hey, did we do some security? That's always been my MO as a developer. You know, I, I, I want to develop in a security free zone. And then when I'm ready to think about deploying it, that's when, uh, that's when I do that. Or at least if I'm testing, you know, authentication, authorization, that kind of stuff. But where, what, I mean, that's not ideal. Obviously, it is. Uh, it is so. And uh, I used to have times when uh, the developers uh, simply didn't want to see me. Yeah. And uh, or they saw me as like, oh, you that security person who is just coming and bragging with the computers right. has a viruses and we need to reinstall it. And I was like, no, yeah. I'm coming here to help you. But they're like, oh, we don't have a time for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, developers hate security. I mean, that's just the way it goes. It used to be so, but I, I feel lucky that I feel that for the, at least the, in my experience for the last few years, attitude has changed. Now I'm mostly fighting with the product owners and the management mm. to prioritize. Interesting. About which ways to do it or which security elements to use? Like what's the argument there? Um, it's like the basic, basically, it is uh, the same as it goes with the other technical depths because mm-hmm. we used to prioritize the features, but not uh, the things what we need to clean up. And the security always falls in the same trap. It's like it's it's not visible. It doesn't give anything to the business like right. in terms of uh, income additional. Mm. Uh, and it always like stays as a last one. Maybe somewhere, somewhere, maybe on uh, like in these ten percent when we are cleaning the technical debt. Do you think that one of the reasons that developers are a little more uh, accepting of security practices now is that in the last couple of years, nearly everybody's been pwned? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that experience does change you. That's changed. But I don't think that uh, this is the only thing. Yeah. I think that the security became as a hypo at some mm. point today. And people want to know more about the security itself. Mm. Uh, and uh, from the outside, it, it looks as like, like, you know, as a cool stuff to do. Right. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, the concerns uh, from the developer's side has been changed and due to the personal reasons, mm. because you have been hacked and like, 
or due different various reasons. Like you know, if you're using a service like a cloud service, the one of the luxuries of that is sort of the security of protecting the servers and all of that just gets taken off your plate. And you now use, you know, attributes and configuration to just turn it on or turn it off and uh, don't have to worry so much about it. Do you still have to be vigilant when you're using a cloud service, a platform as a service offering for your sites and services? Yes, you still should know the basic principles, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I fully agree that with the cloud services, it became so much easier to become security wizard. Right. Uh, because uh, all the magic is uh, hidden under the hood, and like you're mentioning, it's like just on and off. Mm. And uh, honestly, it's killed the last argument, which I was fighting a lot with the developers, uh, that they were mentioning, like, we don't have a time, we don't have the resources or mm. blah, 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 any other reasons, just to learn how to become as a security experts to implement that protection stuff and uh, all of the things what you are talking about. Yeah. Now we don't have these excuses right. at some point, but still you need to know the principles, you need to know the basics and... Uh, uh, again, the cloud services, they do help you uh, to cover the security from the infrastructure and environment mm. side. But when it comes to the data handling and uh, working uh, in the code, you're still responsible. Sure. sure. Yeah. Do you think uh, if you're using containers and doing your own stack, you probably have to be a little more vigilant, huh? Yes. Uh, and with the containers, it also became easier because, I mean, mm. like, uh, you can compromise the application, but there is now nothing behind that, mm. uh, but there there is a new wave. You need to think about the container security. Yeah, and somebody hacks your Kubernetes uh, manager and can spin up, uh, y you know, instances of your server to create a DDoS attack or something. I mean, those are yeah, very different kind of breach as opposed to a data breach. I, I guess that's a great question too. Is like, what are we trying to protect against? What is what are folks? If the devs are more on board now. What are they looking to take care of? Two things, I would say. On the first place, it's a data, because mm -hmm. it's a new oil, like we heard on, uh, mm -hmm. on the first talk. Yep. And the second thing is uh, spinning up uh, the resources for uh, further steps, like, you know, uh, hacking Bitcoin mining. And uh, mm -hmm. so basically uh, spending your resources in the cloud, right. it can become costly for you. Yeah, so basically people finding ways to exploit your software to steal from your account, really, just you consuming your, your, your cloud resources. Or just to use those resources to get uh, the money or uh, to make other steps uh, as a, like in the kill chain as right. the next step. In this. Yeah, I think it's interesting that for a long time a lot of hacking was kind of harmless. It was the worm effects. It was just, you know, just propagators. And now there's... There's far more ransomware and yeah. really directly damaging hacks that are after money. It's far more, you know, true bad actors. That it's just a little more visible to everyone. We have to take it more seriously. The the ransomware thing is interesting, and it's not. It doesn't have to go so far as locking up your machine and giving you access, not taking away access to your files. It can be as simple as an email, you know that. They, they'll send you one of your old passwords and say, see, we know your password and we're going to expose all this stuff about you and this online thing if you don't 
you know, YRS 400, whatever. Bitcoins, yeah. Bitcoins or, or something like that. And people will fall for that, you know. Spear phishing, that is. Yeah. Very targeted based on what data you've been able to hack. But it, it's a, that's a different equation from sure. the way you protect your software. Yeah. I'm, I'm wonder if it, if the GDBR and this idea that data breaches represent legal liability to companies now, at least in Europe, in theory, you know, enforcement being part of the equation, is actually weighing on anyone's mind yet. It is, it is, uh, it is a lot and, uh, it impacted the security industry and us as a security specialist. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, at the beginning, uh, I used to use uh, GDPR as a hammer. Right. It's like, uh, if you don't listen to me, listen to GDPR. Yes. Uh, they are going to ask money. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but now the management itself and uh, the cases that we already have seen, uh, they started to worry about that. And uh, you get this like, yeah, we need to, to be uh, compliant with the GDPR requirements. And then argumentation is done. And right. then is uh, the next step uh, to implement GDPR right. Because I have seen the cases where uh, the company is mostly focusing on covering security from the, like, you know, from the governance from the paper side, what sure. I, I say. But nothing done on the code level, nothing done uh, when it comes to the real protection. Uh, but luckily, it's kind of like... Uh, some of the companies take this seriously. Again, it depends how, how you're interpreting sure. GDPR. And to be clear, as a guy who's had to read through the flipping thing, GDPR says you can't have, it, it does not say you can't have a breach. What it does say is this is what you must do once you've detected a breach, that there's time limits on how long you're before you have to be publicly reporting about it, how you communicate to your customers and so forth. How many days do you get before you call Troy Hunt? Something like that. <laughs> but I think the bigger ones from a programmer's perspective is things like the right to be forgotten, the right to, to know what information an organization holds. Like to my mind, you need a piece of, you need to add to your software that if someone makes that request, you can fulfill it accurately enough that you don't get in trouble with regulators and cheaply enough that, you know, it's not a major expense. It's got to be automated so that it's mm. quick to, you know, you can comply with that request. And this is where it becomes tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about the backups. Think about the legacy code, which we don't know anymore because that developer has left the company 10 years ago. Right. And he wrote this on a language which we don't use anymore. Mm. And now suddenly you need to implement the rights to be forgotten. So you need somehow to index all the data. Mm. How do you going to scratch it from the backups? And always it's, it, it is costly and it is challenging, but, um, the thing is, uh, like you mentioned, uh, that uh, the GDPR focuses also on uh, what to do if a data breach occurs. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that means that uh, actually it's not helping you in protecting. No. It's helping you to build the processes and uh, to prove in the court or later that I have done everything. Look on, like we had all these processes. Mm. Yeah, developer made a mistake, but you see, I have all the papers. Right. I was yeah. like, no, it's a it's a it's sort of a cover your butt kind of thing, right? It's like I have the procedure to show I'm not culpable because we did this as we did as best we could. So in terms of developers and code, is there a checklist of things that every developer must do or not do uh to to consider their code safe? Um not in GDPR context or no, not in, in GDPR general, context. General. Yeah. 
Um, yes, the good start is always top 10, always. But uh, I like to say that this is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing what you need is to switch on your brain in hacker mode. So mm -hmm. try to think how you would uh, uh, go for the attack, how you would compromise uh, the application. And it's better if you, if you do this on uh, your folks code, not on your own. I got it. Because, I mean, like, we don't see our own mistakes. Right. It's, uh, it is like, uh, then gets blurry. Uh, so do you have people in organizations try to hack each other's code? Yes. Uh, I was organizing Capture the Flag contact, uh, contact. <laughs> mm -hmm. and it helped a lot uh, because uh, people, uh, they were after the hunting the bugs. Yeah. And it was like no blaming game. It was like just a game. Right. The second they got these like engaged in the security culture, in the hacking culture, mm. and it helps a lot. And it's way cheaper when making and hiring the penetration tests. Sure, yeah, because good pen testers are expensive. Mm. But I also like what it does to devs. And this is one of Troy Hunt's talks, right, is that hack yourself thing. It's like if you spend a little time with these hacking toolkits and start to see the way the black hats see your app, mm. it's got to change the way you think about how you implement things. Right. It is, it is. And this is where I spend a lot of time. I'm speaking with the developers and uh, set up this type of the challenges. Mm. And uh, it, it helps a lot. It helps a lot. And uh, you feel happy when they are coming back to you with more complicated scenarios. Mm. Yeah, that they, they, they've enjoyed it and engaged it enough that they're working to the next year. That's That's got to be a great moment. It's like, okay, you guys start to get it now. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I remember I used to have one architect who was like, uh, security is not uh, our team's job. It's like, uh, we develop our code and you need to think about the protection. And it took like uh, the six months of just to have these people think, like, you know, speaking and uh, showing and explaining. And mm. another day I got a call like, hey, Victoria, you know what? I was spending last week uh, and I was uh, attending... Uh, web application hacking course and that moment i felt and i was like yes I'm. <laughs> Wait, he's on the inside now <laughs> yeah and, and he got so uh engaged and he became one of the security ambassadors i would say because he was like spreading that culture and his mm. team was really focusing on the security and this is like uh when you feel being like yes i feel that my work matters absolutely no it's that's good that's a really good day are you looking that everybody has security in mind or that every team has a security-minded person that makes sure that that the sort of i's are dotted and t's are crossed i would love to have it, uh, that situation that everyone is into right. security mm -hmm. but uh, let's be real people are different and if you at least have one person in team uh it helps a lot so i wonder if i would equate it to like there's one dev who's got a knack for writing SQL queries or, you know, is comfortable interacting with data and tends to end up owning that role or help, or at least mentoring with other folks. Mm. And if somebody sort of picked up on the thinking around security that that's a good place for them to be, it's just that it can't be too far away from the app. It's got to be part of the team so that it is part of the regular cadence. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this was one of my approaches and I was trying to grow up or educate and find those people who are really interested in the security. Right. And just get them on my side uh, and say like, yeah, now you just continue and spread this in your team. Mm. But uh, it is important not to get the person who is really paranoid and like, you know, this type of the persons who comes mm. back from the conference like, 
everything is bad. <laughs> all the code is bad. It's like, oh. We're all going to die. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, you know, I've definitely dealt with organizations where they had a, a, a dedicated sort of security person that ran around with a tinfoil hat on. And they, and they, to the point where I think one in one place they started calling him the business prevention person. Yeah. <laughs> right? like, he just went around trying to prevent business. Right. And it's, you know, we have to be able to do our work and, and work with our customers, but we also have to do it safely. And so there, yeah. there does have to be a little balance there. There, there should be. And it's not scalable to have one person. And, uh, and I got to think of this, that one person, that's all what they do all day. It's almost like you're making them paranoid. Mm. Like they're going to go crazy if that's all they do all day is ram their head against the wall of everyone ignoring security. Like it's, it's, it's unhealthy. And hey, guys, uh, hold that thought right there for a moment while we pause for this very important message. Hey, Carl here with some good news. Music to Code By is back down to 39 bucks for the entire collection, and I've just added a video streaming license. So you can use Music to Code By as background music for your live Twitch streams or YouTube videos or whatever you want. Go check it out at store.pwop.com. All right, and we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's Richard Campbell. And that is Victoria Almazova. And we're talking security and developer security in particular. Um, I wanted to dive back into this uh, things that developers should or shouldn't do. Is there a, a, a number one uh, thing that you see constantly all the time that you would think by now developers would have gotten out of the habit of doing? Bad habits? Uh, credentials in the code. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> String credentials equals <laughs> password equals. I've actually noticed uh, if you're sh running projects out of GitHub these days, GitHub's gotten really good at identifying when you check in code that has credentials in it yeah. and immediately spits back like, hey, right. that looks like a credential. Mm. Like, I, I hope we do more and more of that with any time you check in code that immediately goes after that kind of thing. It doesn't even have to be in the code. In a config file, it's just as bad, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's any file which you're just going to submit in the public repository. Yeah. Right. No, so it, what is, what's the simplest way to get around that? Um, you need to look uh, which type of the framework you're using, or if you're going into the cloud like Azure, uh, you can use a key vault for that. Yeah. Um, if you are in any other cloud, HashiCorp vault. Uh, so there are plenty of the solutions mm. uh, which helps you to maintain the sensitive keys, certificates, and get secure access to work. And uh, yeah, until the until the key vault, I was uh, I had come up with numerous ways to do that, which you know, using an authenticated service to to retrieve my credentials. I mean, it's sort of the same thing. You're you're authenticating yourself with a password that you type in, and now everything is tokenized to that, and without access to your uh, services that gives you your credentials you won't be able to do that but but the key vault is so much better um sql injection sanitizing inputs for data i mean that has that ever come off of the owasp top 10 number one like I, as far as i can find when i look back at records is like sql injection sql injection sql injection mm -hmm. forever it is. It's. It's like uh, already seventeen years old. Super <laughs> injection stuff, and it's still in the place. Uh, but I would rather call it uh, like injection, uh, any type of the. Not only the SQL because we are dealing. But just input sanitation. Input sanitation. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's. We are still lazy to do it and check. But, you know, I get. I wonder if this is the real mind shift that happens when you start having security as a part of your thought. It's just that 
I have to sanitize this. We don't know what's coming in here. Like it's just mm. got to be part of our thinking. I'm setting boundaries on what's allowed to come in this door. But this yeah. is where we're coming back to the being a little paranoid. Yes, but only a little, not crazy. Only, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I love to say always like to developers that uh, in input we don't trust. Yes, <laughs> it's good. Otherwise, another way to say that is users are weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes badly behave. Hey, maybe you should have used Bobby Tables Bobby, like Casey I knew Bobby Tables would have come up in this conversation. <laughs> or the, the guy who, who taped a, a SQL injection query to the front of his car for the yes. license plate scanner. That's right. a good one. I wonder if it would work with like one of these uh, Alexa or something like that if you just like spelled out a you know print semicolon drop tables or something. I yeah. This guy Vo- vo- voice controlled table it's equal ejection. <laughs> There's or, another level. Or somebody's <laughs> you know, somebody's like taking a, a translation, you're doing a text to speech document or something like that, you just put it in there. Now I'm trying to think about how far you know, all inputs, because as you work your way through the layers of an application, I mean I think it's just anything exposed to the world, like at at, at the entry point to a service, yes, sanitize the inputs. But but the class sitting further back in the system when it's only our own software that's talking to it, do I really want to keep sanitizing every level there? Or is it just like at some point that's going to incur a lot of overhead? This is the reason why I'm saying in input we don't trust. Right. Not like Mm. uh, in user. uh, Because uh, uh, you never know uh, what is coming from another application. Maybe that application is already compromised. Yeah, it has been compromised. Yeah. So uh, the security is like the onion. You need to put layers. Sure. And you need to check on every step. Uh, last week I was giving a talk at NDC Security, and I took, um, uh, I just compared uh, with the Sting song uh, in like every step you make. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a song about a stalker. Like it's really a creepy song. <laughs> it is, but it it helps a lot when you're explaining uh, how you need to implement and how you need to shift left security. And this yes. is like, uh, just listen to that song. It gives all instruction. So you sure. use that in your bio too, shift left. What does that mean? Uh, that means that uh, we need to think about the security not when you're done with the code and like, oh, now I'm ready to check it. But you need to start to think uh, from the moment when business came and said, like, I have this great idea. Mm. You need to develop it. And right. this is where you start. You start dealing with the uh, with uh, business. I'm speaking with them and asking, like, okay, what's your considerations if the data is going to be leaked, who is going to use? Right. Then we have the architects like, okay, you're building this type of the architecture. I see it's scalable, it's so on. But have you thought about these points, which particularly could be right. weak from the security right. perspective? And uh, it's it's like it helps a lot uh, to have the four first rounds with them. And after that, after the some time, they take these patterns and they start to think already. Like so, basically from the day zero, like I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, they included. All the way along. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, whenever I think about the shift left, I think about Steve McConnell. You oh, know, yeah. Code they, complete. The code complete and, and the project management and so forth. About And what he was re- really talking about was the further left you attacked a problem, the less it costs. Hmm. And so, you know, whenever we talk, whenever I think about shift left, I think about these order of magnitude decreases in cost. Yeah. That, that the sooner you can attack that, the less it's going to hit you. So I appreciate that thinking. It's just like, 
including it early on just means it's it's not an expensive retrofit. It's not an expensive problem. Mm. It is, and uh, there have been some uh, analyses and the studies done, and uh, there are like the proven numbers that it costs less to build in the security with like when you are shifting to left than patching afterwards uh, the security breach because it affects your production reputation and all of these things. Sure. So. Mm-hmm. Well, just somebody saying, hey, we now have to go through all of these classes and make sure we've got input sanitation to anything outwardly facing. That's a lot of code, and it's going to take some time. What are some of the other dumb things developers do all the time? Oh, where should they start? (laughs) Socks with sandals. Pick one one that might not be obvious. The most stupid thing with all is... uh like what I have seen and I don't like is, uh, okay, we are so concerned about the security and we are implementing input sanitization and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And we end up running uh, under the one service account, that application, and everyone knows the service account username and the password. <laughs> and it's used in the test environment, no, in the no, production. No. And imagine if you have that uh, username for the five, six, seven years. Yeah. Now, what a vulnerability. It is. And there's no point to think about any other security if you're under the same mm. uh, username and the password yeah. all the time. And, then, and certainly in a conversation we have on Runance regularly about, hey, in the production machine, in the production systems, those services are running in accounts that only will run on that machine. Like yeah. You cannot log into it any other way. Sure. It like it exists only there and it has such it and it is the minimum number of rights necessary to execute. Yeah. But it's like from an IP perspective, that is a well spent piece of time just to start, can we remove domain user? Like what rights can we peel off this account and the app still works? Right. Uh, and often, you know, there's points where it's like, well, why do we, you hit a right where you're like, why does it need this right? And then maybe go back to dev and say, Hey, you know, we're trying to set up the service account correctly and it needs this right. And it's, it's one call and it was a call that wasn't really needed. And if you get rid of that, it's one less bit of it. But I, you know, I'm talking about the exception here. There are relatively few organizations that really spend time on service accounts. Yeah. And they, and it's, I think it's a huge area of exploit. It is, it is. It's, it's like, and, uh, it becomes complicated, uh, by the time and the line of, lines of the code grows up mm. and fixing, like going back and tracking why that particular user has so big rights. Like, and uh, anyway, it, it, one day it ends up, uh, being as a global admin. Yep. Mm. And you're like, this, why? this account is all powerful. Mm. Yeah. Because it's, we, we everything to, works when you use it. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> well, and it, and we've all had that reflex as a dev. It's like I can't get this to work. Yeah. Well, I wonder if I'm hitting security strain. You know, give me admin. Try it again. Oh, now it works. Now you've still not diagnosed anything. Pseudo, make me a sandwich. That's right. You just made a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in one project, we used to have uh, this type of the account, and the developers were simply calling that account as uh, a Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Norris can do anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would think the first thing is production accounts and testing accounts and dev accounts are different. Yeah. Like if you started, the, even not granulizing the privileges, but just making sure that we're not using the same accounts in all places mm. so that there's at least some, you have no reason to know what the server, the production server accounts are. You just, you know, you don't have access to it. You don't need to know it. You don't live there. 
Yeah, uh, but uh, that mostly uh, nowadays touches like uh, on premises. Uh, mm-hmm. But if we speak uh, um, the cloud environment, then this is uh, where it becomes like we we do have the serverless, uh, like we write the Azure mm-hmm. functions. We right. we don't need to think about these service accounts anymore. Right. Yeah. This the, and it's one of the reasons to I think one of the many advantages of the cloud. And this is something we talked about Carl Otz with from the comment I read mm-hmm. was this whole you you. A, don't do anything in the account owner account inside of Azure. You, all you do with that account is create new accounts and assign people rights to that. Mm. There's no other time to be in that. And, and same thing, make more accounts, granularize those privileges. Oh, yes, this is what I'm doing a lot nowadays. I'm talking about like how to... Uh, lock your subscription, like how to lock your Azure environments. And I love the best, uh, the strategy that uh, to the production subscription, you don't have an access. No. Only your mm. CI, CD pipeline has. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. only software can answer access that account. That's right, yeah. Exactly. And no, IP, and IP bound. So it's something I used to say years ago for, for devs, especially in high-performance web environments. Like, look, you don't want access to production servers because then it would be your fault. Right? As long as you literally have no way to speak to them directly, that it's only through these standard practices, whether that's a build master or whether it's CICD pipeline, like then whatever landed there, that's somebody else's problem. You know, you may help with it, but you didn't cause it. Do you remember, Richard, when SQL Server accounts were where we did most of our security because we were accessing it through the the internet or whatever? And they were SA no password? And they were, well, yeah, but but it used to be really important because that was the edge right you know that was where we needed it as it wasn't on the web uh-huh. at that point and, and how offended we were with microsoft's like you shouldn't be exposing a database to the to the internet right. you should be building data services for that I'm like, but that would what? make me have to work it's hard too much work nobody does to that do what i can do now <laughs> why would i do that <laughs> uh, yeah i can't such a simpler matter. time <laughs> just doesn't matter anymore a simple somewhat simpler if horrifying time but I like at least that, you know, tools like SQL Azure and any modern sort of data store has IP level security. You yeah. Know, this can only come, we can only from accept here. from this IP address. End of story. Can IP addresses be spoofed? I mean, to a degree. Have you ever seen, let me put it that way, have you ever seen that? Uh, in DDoS attacks, it is normal to have a false response uh, IP address because you don't care about the response. Right. But as soon as you need a two-way connection of any kind, like you have to be able to get back somewhere. Right. So that's sort of the limit. There's there's DNS hijacking, so you're actually not speaking the IP, but True. speaking to a URL that's now redirecting to a place they didn't expect it to go. Right. But there's only so much you can do there. Right. Uh, the only thing that uh, comes into my mind is uh, think which type like oh, what is behind that IP if it's na- not a uh, network. Mm-hmm. And if it's like the office network or you're just adding the IP because you're working here in the conference and mm. added the, the public wi- Wi-Fi IP, right. yep. then someone else is behind also that IP. Yeah. Can Is it possible for somebody to intercept the packet, change the IP address and put it back in the, in the queue in the router? No. No, no. Yeah. This is uh, we, this is what we used to call like ARP spoofing. So yeah. you are going the layer uh, down. Yeah. Uh, you can do this uh, via the ARP tables and manipulate, but not on IP level. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, that's at least good to know. Well, we've got, and it's one of the reasons we've been insisting on a, everything being in TLS too. Is like generally, then the upside to encrypted packets is there's no way to mess with them that doesn't show. Mm. It's not that it stops man in the middle attacks entirely; they can still attempt to attack it. Yeah. But your ability to conceal an attack is significantly impaired. Yeah. Okay. So, what about uh, um, VPNs, proxy servers, anonymizers? I mean, these are all the rage for people who want to do nefarious things on the internet is there is there any concern about your app as a developer uh with an can an exploit happen because of those things it depends uh, if your app is publicly exposed already mm -hmm. uh, if it's publicly exposed then you're uh, making the security controls on another la layer mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter from where the person comes sure it matters uh, what that person does with your app yeah, I mean, I guess that's only like an identity spoof. Yes, kind of basically. Thing. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, in this, as as for today, in the in cloud based world, uh, identity is the uh, the main parameter. Mm -hmm. So everything is protected by the authentication yeah. and authorization. This is where you need to put the most effort when you are developing solution. Two FA, two factor authentication is probably the best thing you can do, isn't it? Must have. And if you're going to do it. Give your user the option to use email or text because in a case like this, um, if Amazon didn't give me the email option, I wouldn't be able to log in. I'm overseas. I don't have my phone number. Right. Yeah. I'm using a SIM. Right. Yeah. I'm more paranoid. I'm using UBK, the physical hardware. Oh, okay. Uh, so this is always with me. Yeah. Richard's got one. Have you seen every key? So this is something that I saw online. Um, it's Kaspersky or it's um, McAfee. McAfee, who's he's kind of a little weird. He's crazy. Yeah. But like generally speaking, when I when somebody says, "Oh, it's it's McAfee," the security people are like, "I'm gonna go." <laughs> well, you know, it may not have been his design. I mean, let's face it; he's probably got people doing it and putting his name on it. But but the whole idea is that it's a Bluetooth enabled authentication authorization key. And it will not only log you into your phone or computer automatically in, you know, near proximity, but it can also open your car, open your doors, your house, all of that stuff and get you, uh, your, uh, authenticate you on different websites as well. But it is Bluetooth. Yeah. yeah. And I would not trust the Bluetooth itself. Okay. Tell us why I'm with you, but. Tell us why. I mean, like, you can still compromise it. Uh, sure. It's uh, all the... I'm not into that hacks in the uh, uh -huh. area of the blue uh, Bluetooth, but everything what is wireless, uh, mm. I'm off of the hands. So is it kind of like RFID where you can sort of uh, read what the thing is emitting and then make an emitter yourself and copy the key that way? Uh, exactly. Mm. Uh, and uh, the same way, I mean, like, you can be man in the middle. Mm. Uh, you can compromise, and mm -hmm. uh, it's enough that you are quite close to the device. Then, yeah. So, what's what's the security? Uh, I mean, what's the point then? Well, if you have software that reads the Bluetooth data, you could, you know, theoretically do what I was saying. You know, create your own duplicate of the key. I don't know. This is just I I, I don't know enough about it, so. No, I'm just uh, thinking about the the transmission and is it mm. like uh, encrypted and how it works. I'm immediately right. yeah, into yeah. that. 
but I, I'm not kind of the wireless uh, person. Yeah. Because of everything what goes in the air can be catched, mm-hmm. analyzed, and if uh, the the software or the firmware is having some uh, security vulnerabilities when it's done. Mm. Look, uh, examples with the cars. Yeah. And the keyless. The RFID. Yeah. yeah. So. Yep. You can build a device that basically replicates those. Yeah. yeah. I would say I'm a old type person. I, I'm <laughs> sticking with the physical devices. Yeah. yeah. I like that too. Well, and yeah, we got to think multi-factor these days. Whether it's your text or your email or an authenticator code or the, these YubiKey type solutions where mm. they're generating custom keys on demand. Like, they, mm. I think we're just getting used to having more options there. And it is more ways for us to make sure whoever they, someone is, is who they are. I like the uh, RSA generators. Mm-hmm. You know, every 60 seconds you get a new number and there's an algorithm in the cloud creating that same number on the same schedule. I think that's brilliant. Have you seen these pictures where the RSA key was just attached to the server and the guys were placed like camera in front? And this is what we call two-factor authentication. <laughs> That's awesome. That's the uh, high-tech equivalent of uh, writing your password on a sticky note yes. and putting it on your monitor. <laughs> yeah, using a little natural machine learning to decode and identify the characters so that it can just auto enter them for you. That's right. It doesn't matter how much security you have on your system. If you're dumb, <laughs> you're going to get hacked. Well, I think that's ultimately the issue with passwords, right? Like people are simply not going to use good passwords. Mm. Are you, we're, Microsoft at Ignite this past year in 2018 was big on the whole, let's get past the password thing. Password one, two, three. But Password just, one two three dollar sign. I just wonder better? if we're in in the period now with devs actually being able to build apps that are just they don't have passwords anymore. Yeah. Um, since I'm working in Norway, uh, in that country, it's uh, a lot of the applications are focused on the central identity brokers. So right. we are utilizing the bank authentication, and which is I should say it's like the God bless gift. Right. And you don't need to think about the managing the users and the password stuff, mm. but uh, otherwise we are not getting rid of it. Hmm. We are still developing the applications with the usernames and the passwords and maintaining. And hmm. you get lucky if the developer thought about the brute force, about the password complexity hmm. and all of that stuff. Hmm. Because sometimes you can just see the applications which are uh, having the basic username and the password fields hmm. and uh, simply doesn't care about the password string. And yeah. even the worse, you can uh, find those passwords uh-huh. plain texted in the database. It still happens. Time. I got to think if you're building a login screen, you're already down the wrong path. Like this should not be part of your application. There are services for all of this. Yes, and this is why we do have OpenID and uh, and OAuth. OAuth and mm-hmm. and all the great tooling around that with uh, Otka and OAuth uh, or Auth Zero. Like there, there's products out there, and and Azure Identity too. Like exactly. you don't need to own any of this anymore. Don't write it yourself. It's like we used to say, you don't write your own cryptography. I'm using, uh, I'm saying now, like, don't write your own authentication yeah. mechanisms. I mean, use what uh, you already have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Choose it. The downside of uh, all these social networks, uh, however, is that if your one identity has been compromised, then that person potentially can get uh, all these other things. Like, yeah. I really, I, I, we had this experience at Humanitarian Toolbox where 
we set we were building an app for doing humanitarian work and we allowed people to use their Facebook and Google identities. We were actually using Auth0. And uh, the testers were would create separate usernames and passwords because they didn't trust us enough hmm. to actually use their their accounts. And then, and then, and you get, you're laughing because it's like, we put this feature in and X, you know, put additional effort in to make it more comfortable for you. Mm. And then you're not comfortable to even use it. So that, that to me was really interesting that people are starting to value those credentials enough to be cautious about where they use them. With these uh, social identities or one identity, it's, you're solving one issue, but we're producing another. Creating another. Yeah. yeah, I stopped using them. I went to LastPass, new username and password for every account. You know, just yeah, it's uh, uh, this is the thing what I suggest most. Like, uh, hmm. if uh, you're not kind of the social person, mm-hmm. like uh, I'm not uh, often reusing all my social network stuff and so on. Uh, use password manager, right. manager tools, and don't think about the security. Of the passwords, because this is what the password manager tool yeah. does. It helps you to build the new, create the new strong uh, password and just maintain it. Yeah, remember, I like that I don't know any my passwords anymore. Yeah, just remember one huge, huge big, password. Nice big passphrase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love passphrase. And at the same time, you can hone up on your writing skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some poetry. Or your poetry skills, there right? You, you make it some surreal poem, and nobody will know the difference. Write something nice. So, what's next for you? What's on your in What's in your inbox? Yeah, tomorrow I'm giving a talk uh, about uh, it's it's kind of the stand up comedy uh, based on the security experience. Oh, that's got to be a riot! Yeah, security's never funny. <laughs> security's never funny. Yes, <laughs> I'm actually intrigued. I want to see this. Where is it happening? It is. It is here at NDC Lo- nice. London. Yeah, it's. it's uh, Tomorrow? Lightning talk. Yeah, it's lightning talk. Oh, great. 20 minutes. Go fast. What, what time? After the lunch. Oh, okay. Yeah, we might actually have time because we have like 1230 to 130 off or 1240 to 140. That's the lunch break. Yeah. Yes, oh, so, so it might be at 140. So I will, I will try to have some fun in more cultural way. That's good. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it's still not a popcorn talk. Yeah. Well, is that what you really want to go for? A popcorn talk? Maybe next time. Maybe yeah. next time. Very good. They're intense. Five minutes. Get it all right. That is not an easy thing to do. Well, Victoria Almazova, thank you very much for joining us. It was a great conversation. Thank you. And I was enjoying the talk. It's like very nice. Okay. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.